welcome to Radio Utopistan. My name is Elisabeth White and I'm happy you tuned in again for some constructive stories and for people with ideas that are interconnecting the world. Today our guest is German author and filmmaker Ronja Wumseibel. She lived and worked in Afghanistan as a journalist for almost two years. There she did reports about the war, about drug addiction, poverty and other really devastating things. Sometimes within all this misery she was left hopeless and without any perspective for the future. So she started to look for the constructive aspects within her stories for people who are trying to find a way out, for projects that are offering solutions. This is called constructive journalism or solution journalism. There are different schools and theories how exactly it's working, but basically it's about focusing on possible solutions and not so much on drama or problems. This doesn't mean to ignore problems, but rather to find possible solutions for them. Radio Utopistan is also following this line. And Ronja, she wrote a book about it, about how it's working, not only for journalists, but for all of us, because we all tell each other stories all day long. We read them, we hear them. But what kind of stories are those? What are they doing to our mind and to our mood? She was finishing the book last summer, the time when the Taliban were taking over Kabul and all of Afghanistan. So Ronja was on the phone and in the streets helping people to escape the deadly regime. In between, she was writing this book about constructive storytelling. Around her, the world was falling apart and inside her head, she was thinking about good news. It turned into a powerful and inspiring book and the call to change our look upon the world. Its title is how we see the world. It's not available in English yet, but soon there will be a version in Polish, in Czech and in Korean, maybe in Arabic. Ronja and me, we were about to meet and talk two times this year because of other things, but it never turned into reality. So now I'm more than happy that we could finally talk on Radio Utopistan. Hi, Ronja. Hi, nice to be here. Yeah, I'm so happy you took the time and we finally could get together. Um, yeah, and congratulations and thank you again for this amazing book. It For me, it was something like, yeah, a light of joy and also some evidence that there is at least some sense in humanity um, Yeah, while the world is getting darker and darker. Thank you. That's really nice to hear, actually. Um, how how were your reactions so far from people? Uh, well, they were quite overwhelming, to be honest, because the book was published um, on the last day of February, and that was exactly the week when uh, Russia invaded uh, Ukraine. Yeah. Um, so the news, at least in Germany, were uh, full on, full of a war story and depressing and um, even scary news. So I think people really had the need and the urge to find a new perspective um, or, yeah, at least to get ideas how to handle this um, situation mentally, but also like practically, like how can we consume news in a way that doesn't um, yeah, destroy our mental health. So there were many, many people contacting me uh, at one point like we couldn't uh, print the book quickly enough fast enough to to <laughs> make it reach the stores and the numbers that needed to be there I gave lots of interviews lots of talks um, and yeah I think it was just like a, not only the book but the whole question like how do we consume news how do news affect our mental well-being um, I mm. think that was a question that was 
that people ask themselves. And I think it's it's good to ask these questions because, of course, even without a new war, it can be quite stressful to live in this yeah in this field where so many news are being published and also consumed. Yeah, definitely. And it seems we're just jumping from crisis to crisis. So, so how do we consume news? Well, I think the one thing that is important to do in the beginning, like if we have never sort of faced this topic, is to understand that there is a relation between which news we consume and how we feel, even how we feel about completely different things, not only politics, but maybe our private life or our work life or social life or community life or whatever. And this is something that we definitely know by now from studies and from many, many researches that has been done that negative news, also negative information, it doesn't have to come from news, it could also come from novels or movies or mm. talks or even our talking to ourselves, <laughs> the stories mm. we tell ourselves. So all these negative information strongly affects us in a way that we feel helpless. Uh, we become more passive, like we don't actively engage anymore that much in our communities and society. We stop reading news or we get into the full cycle of doom scrolling and just finding more and more and more negative news yeah. um, up until a point where we can't do it anymore. So this is like, this is fact. It's not my experience. It's not my opinion. These are the facts. Mm. And I think it's very important to to understand this relationship. Um, there's a psychologist, Jody Jackson, and she compared it with fast food. She said, like mm. she wrote a book, it's called You Are What You Read. Um, mm. And instead of You Are What You Eat, of course. And she compares negative information with fast food. And she says, like, in the same way that we can't have nutritious food if, if we only go back to uh, junk food, in the same way we can't really nourish our minds and our our view of the world if we only consume negative news. And mm -hmm. I think this explains it very well. So what we have to do is we don't necessarily have to... We can... Con I think most of us could consume less news than we're doing because we're consuming much more than most of us assume um, and want to even. <laughs> But mm. the more important point is actually uh, which kind of news we consume and... So this is where we really, yeah, a change can really bring a lot of help. Um, if we stop only focusing on negative things, on problems, but whenever we focus on problems, we also focus on solutions. I don't, I wouldn't encourage people necessarily to only focus on good news or these kind of news, but more like to bring both together, to look at the problems, but then at the same time also look for solutions or perspectives that can show us how we can handle maybe these problems in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like the comparison with the food because, I mean, like our body, like ev every cell of our body is made from the things we eat. And so is our mind made from all the stories and things we see and read and listen to, right? And so it's quite logical that if we just put negative things in it or poison even, that we are that we are feeling depressed and uh, yeah cynical and don't banish to get out of bed anymore even sometimes maybe yeah I think once we start thinking about it it's it's quite obvious um, but mm. but sort of yeah it's but it doesn't really like many people don't see it until they myself included until mm. you start thinking about it looking at it reading the facts about it. Uh, looking into the research um, and until that point many people experience it that's what they what the feedback is like they experience it as 
um, just like a sort of a vast mood that yeah. it feels like, yeah, but the world really is not going great. So no wonder I'm depressed or no wonder I'm not motivated anymore to engage in my community or all these things. No wonder I don't want to read the news anymore. But it's it's still more connected to, but this is how the world is and not to, but this is how the news are and this is how the news make me feel. And yeah. I think that's a very important difference to make and yeah. um and even i mean the research even goes that far that it shows that even physically it can affect our body like our not only our immune system but also the way our heart functions and f so this is all affected by by not only news but what mm -hmm. kind of information we consume how that affects our mental well-being so It really is a, a huge thing. If we want to live a healthy life, we definitely need to think about what kind of information we consume. Mm -hmm. And what's the difference there? The difference between the world and the news? Well, the news, most of the time, they only focus on what is going wrong. There are definitely exceptions. But if we talk about mainstream media and mainstream news, then what they focus on is what is going not great, what happened from one day to the next or even from one hour to the next. So these are very short periods of times. And in these short periods of times, it's almost impossible that uh, good things are happening because good things take, they happen to take a, lo a longer times. Like it mm. takes longer to uh, um, stop a war than to start it. It takes longer to build a house than to destroy it. So whatever is going good takes time. And so mm -hmm. this is like a very natural factor, if you want to say so, um, that leads to less positive things or not only positive, but sort of encouraging things um, mm -hmm. um, happening to, to be seen in the news. But also there's like this mindset in many uh, within the journalistic um, world, I, I would say, <laughs> that mm -hmm. only bad news are good news, um, yeah. which means that people are only interested in bad things that are happening which is true to a certain point like the human mind is constructed in a way that we are in fact focusing on on negative things we are focusing on negative information but this is sort of our this is what we do without thinking and once we start mm -hmm. thinking what we want to read what we want to see what we want to know is quite different to that but the first reflex will probably always be like oh there's something horrible happening i need to know about it just to sort of make sure we live a secure life yeah yeah and i think it's also in the journalistic world that uh, you're only taken serious when you're talking about the really evil things the really evil guys it's like oh we have to hunt them down and uh put the finger into the wound and uh, yeah, reveal the really ugly things or they, why everybody's talking. Yeah, now not that much anymore, but just a few years ago, terrorism was all over the place because it's like the worst you can imagine or wars. So you're only taken serious when you're, when you're working in those fields. I have the impression, right? Yeah, yeah, probably. And also, I mean, but even in these fields, like I worked in a war zone myself, um, mm. or at least in a country where there was war, and, and I did those stories, but not necessarily those stories, but sort of in these fields. And I think even there, you can, uh, you can still have a constructive perspective, like it doesn't mm. mean that you have to report about things that are not like so-called real politics or yeah. um, you can you can report about a war and still do it in a constructive way just mm. if you focus on the problems but also what needs to be done to solve them or 
mm. um, yeah, to sort of at least go into that direction. So that is 100% possible. But but yes, many journalists don't do that yet. They don't do it yet. Um, but at least in, in Germany, uh, we're definitely not leading when it comes to constructive journalism. Mm. But I feel there is a certain movement going on during the last year, I'd say. I mean, of course, longer, but during the last year, there are bigger steps there. I think it's it's one reason is that there's the impression that there's one crisis after another, first COVID, then yeah. Climate, now war, now energy crisis, social crisis, maybe. So what I hear from many journalists within Germany is that that they realize themselves what the news do to them, like especially in the beginning of uh, March when the when the new war started. Many journalists told me that they are completely overwhelmed. They can't sleep anymore. They can't stop thinking about it. They they're realizing that what what they are creating is not even good for them. Especially not good for them, of course, because they are surrounded um, by it 24-7. So, and then I think many journalists are starting to think about this and um, starting to realize that they have, that news are actually having this these effects. Um, I think there are many journalists still who have no idea about this, who still think, oh, the, the harsher and the more dramatic I report about problems, the more people want to solve it. That's what many journalists assume, which is completely wrong. We know that by now. But mm. I think that is still what many journalists assume, that they need to report um, very dramatically in order to wake people up. Um, yeah. But what they actually do is like they make them fall asleep or not asleep, but they yeah. make them go into shock and, yeah, and, and passive that- reactions. They turn down the newspapers or they don't listen to the radio anymore. They they just, I mean, me too. I, <laughs> to be honest, I don't follow the current news anymore because it's just, I think, the important things. I will know about them and I will, I rather dive deeper into topics than get in the current news. It's what many people do. I think the, the latest report that I know of was this summer from uh, Reuters Digital News Report. And they also had these figures within them that that many people are actually really stopping to consume um, the news because it makes them feel depressed or it makes them feel helpless or they feel that they they are stuck and they cannot bring any change into the world. So they stop consuming. And this is, I think, something that um, that is now sort of going into the different yeah into the different fields of media at least within germany and i think in many other countries as, yeah. well, as well so that people are realizing oh okay so we're actually losing people so there is some change going on uh, yeah. so i think also the reaction to the to the war and to covid and to climate crisis like this question like how can we um how can we change the way we talk about all these of course important problems that we yeah. have Yeah, and constructive news is not just good news, like you said. It's talking about the problem, but more about the solutions. And you have a formula for that, your very special own formula, how to make constructive news. Just uh, shortly to to um, show, there are different schools about constructive journalism, right? And they have different tools and theories about how it's working. But basically, it's your it's kind of your formula. Yeah, it's a little bit of the problem, and then more about the solution. You want to show you uh, share your formula with us yeah, it's a very simple one i'm not sure if it works in english as well i i, I tried it as well last week in english and yeah. i'm not sure it works that great <laughs> as in german but it's like shit plus x so what yeah. i mean is whichever problem you have be it um, from a journalistic perspective or be it a personal problem or in your work life social life really doesn't matter any problem that bothers you you can look for an x and what i mean with x is like 
anything that sort of gives another perspective that sort of could be the first step to solve the problem. It could be maybe uh, looking at other countries, seeing how they handle this particular problems. We have many, many problems today that are on a global level, like racism or um, sexism or war or poverty or climate crisis or um, social injustice. All these things, is it's not on a national level, it's global. So that can be a depressing thought, but it's also a chance for us to look into all these other countries and see how they are handling it and sort of get recipes and idea how we could handle these certain problems ourselves. Or we can look for people who who are either affected by these problems or who are maybe fighting these problems for a long time and they have a certain expertise and knowledge and also expectations what needs to be done we can talk to them instead of always talking to politicians who are yeah maybe not taking the problem serious or sort of are thinking more about their own perspective on it and their own um, relation to it or we can sort of look into the past we can see if maybe there were societies who were handling some of these problems better than we are doing it now so what we are actually doing is we're looking for recipes to to find maybe a solution if it's going great. Uh, in most cases, I'd say it's more like a first step or a first direction that we are looking for that sort of leads us to get a new idea or a new perspective to that particular problem that we are talking about. Yeah, and I think it's also putting more pressure onto politicians or people who have power because I mean you can always say yeah we have problems 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 and then they say yes but we don't have money we don't have time we don't have people but when you show them that it's working in some other place or in some other aspect or level or whatever it's not so easy to have excuses anymore no definitely I mean uh, it's 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 sort of logic if we only talk about the problem we will only talk even with politicians or in our reporting, we will only focus on the problem. We will only focus on what has been done wrong. Um, mm. And this is a very important discussion. It definitely needs to be done. But if we stop there, then we sort of leave out the whole field of solutions. And it's mm. also important not only to have solutions, but to talk about them and to have them in the public debate. Because most of the time, we don't only have one. I mean, there's really a perfect solutions solution for a sure. problem. So what that means is... We have many, many solutions that could be used and there should be a debate about it. There should be um, a discussion. There should be pros and cons mm. for each solution and not only like, ah, we found a solution. Great. Um, mm. So which is what is happening right now many times that the discussion focus largely on the problems and then there comes up one solution and you can be either for it or against it. But there's not that much uh, discussion and debate about which solution do we actually need. So if we do that in reporting, then, of course, we are creating this a new field of a public debate. And also, as you said, for, for politicians or for other um, people in power, could also be in large companies or whatever. Yeah, any, any person who has some power and, and maybe is misusing it actively or, or yeah, without um, intention. But so if they say, well, we can't do anything about it, it's a big problem, but we can't do anything about it. And then you come up with solutions and you say, oh, yes, you actually can mm. do something about it. Then, yes, as you said, then it's much more easier to sort of heighten the level of pressure that we mm. put on them. And that is one very important function of media to put pressure on people in power. It's, it's mm. one of the um, one of many functions that media actually have. 
Yeah, and that's why I don't understand why it's still people still kind of call it naive this constructive journalism or the solution journalism. I so, think very often there is a misunderstanding it that constructive journalism means sort of good news or happy news. So I started to to call it like critical constructive journalism, which is actually mm. like it's the same thing. It's sort of a mm. double description. Um, but I've, I've realized that many people, if they hear constructive journalism, especially if they haven't maybe read about it or just like heard about it, the vast concept of it, then um, what many of them think is that it means to put more good news into it, to focus on good news, to focus on what's going great and to leave out all the rest. And and I think that is a great misunderstanding that is happening. Um, mm. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm I'm pretty sure the, the more this concept gets debate, talked about, used, this will hopefully sort of solve mm. itself. Yeah, I hope so too. And you say you can also apply that for your private life, right? How you do, how do you do that? Sure. I think, uh, I, I mean, in many fields, we're social human beings are social social beings so uh, we need stories we need interactions we need um, information to sort of not only gather information but to also to make sure we we take the right decisions uh, we needed to uh, to sort of build our identity we needed to say hey this is a group of people i belong to this is a group of people i don't want to belong to so this is all made off and with stories so story mm -hmm. is like the Thing we need in our communities so what it means that in every level and area of our life we tell stories um, no matter what our profession is in private life we we all do that hmm. so uh, one thing um, so there are many many fields where we can sort of bring change but uh, one area that is I think particularly easy is small talk because at least in in Germany the small talk we do in the beginning of a conversation is, is very, very negative. And most of the time it's, or actually I would say almost all of the time, it's not the things that really sort of bother us. It's more like really uh, not important things. Like, I don't know, I got tra stuck in traffic or my train was delayed or the coffee was too hot or the food was expensive or things like that, that is not really, really, really important to us. And this is really important because um, we know from... Uh, from research and from studies that the way we start a conversation is sort of almost defining how the rest of it will go like not necessarily the facts but the um, sort of the mood we enter the conversation with is very determined for the rest of the conversation so if we start a conversation with a um, highly negative small talk it's very very difficult for us to sort of turn the conversation around and and bring and change it to another thing like be it positive or even maybe neutral so what the, this is really a field where we can uh, do experiments. We can start, okay, what is happening if I change the way I do small talk? If I maybe bring one particular story that is encouraging or maybe funny or just interesting or whatever, not only negative, and then we oh. can see how conversations really do change. I love doing that. And um, yeah, I'm always amazed how how much it affects the rest of the conversation. Yeah, right, right. I just I just remember an example I had yesterday with someone from a huge car company and I was kind of nervous before the talk and then it started with just it, it wasn't really the topic, it was just the, the cheerful atmosphere or the sound of the voices and then there was already the slide into the direction of yeah, of positivity or of trying to connect and trying to find some con common ground. Yeah. 
Yeah, it really changes a lot, and it also change like sometimes it also changes those things you talk about. Maybe um, if you ask people in the beginning, beginning what was going great in their day or what they're looking mm. forward to of the rest of the day or whatever, then you you sort of jump into completely different fields of conversation that you would compare to what you mm. would normally have. I even I once did a training for higher level people in a company and they told me that they have started whenever customers arrived uh, then the, at their place in their office they they had stopped asking them if they found the way because or how <laughs> how sort of their arrival went because they realized it's never great stories it's uh -huh. most of the time people have problems even tiny problems but uh -huh that sort of led to them being stuck in a conversation about what went wrong and they realized uh -huh. it's not great for their not only the business but also the atmosphere and their relationships that they would form with the customers and so they intentionally had stopped asking this question <laughs> just because they realized or not just because but because they realized um what the effect was so it's it's mm -hmm. not something on a um sort of level where you say ah oh, yeah i feel better it really does change the way yeah. we talk Sweet. Do, do they have a new question now or do they just apply it to the situation and the person? Um, no, I think they, they sort of just ask like, um, I'm not sure if they even ask anything anymore. I would have to I would have to go uh, back to them and check that. Uh, um, I didn't ask, to be honest. It's a good yeah, question. Yeah, that doesn't matter. I ask it. doesn't matter. Yeah, because I think, or at least from my experience, I think you if you find something that's really special about that person and even better the the connection you have with that person and uh, then find something positive about it, then it can spark the rest of the conversation. Yeah, yeah that's definitely. really, yeah, yeah, good point. Okay, it can be a game for every new person you meet, find some common, positive common ground. It really is. And on the, I mean, what makes this even more fun is that we, we have to do it anyway. Like we meet yeah. new people every day, even people that we know, we usually start our conversation with small talk. And so we, we have to do that anyway. And it's much more fun if we sort of experiment with it. And we can we can prepare ourselves. Like we can wake up in the morning and say, okay, today when I meet people, what do I want to tell them? What do mm. I want to ask them? Like we don't have to trust on our instincts to do it perfect because our instincts will always sort of skip back to the negative part. Um, mm. But we can prepare ourselves and then sort of make this, yeah, like a challenge mm. and a game for ourselves. And it, it really, like you can try it. It really does change um, yeah. the way you talk with people but also the things you talk about yeah nice nice and yeah I, I can also say if you try to find positive things with people or in situation and it just gives you an energy boost but I mean we anyway even if we try to hide from the news we see what's happening in the world and it's not always looking good also in private life I mean, how how do you find the energy or the optimism, the spirit? I don't know to always look for your ex when everything seems to look like yeah problems and shit. Well, I think definitely, um, especially in the situations where I feel I'm drowning in problems and crises and maybe sadness or horror, then especially in these situations, I I feel the need for an ex because this is mm. the ex is my way out. Uh, it shows mm. me where I can the first step that I can do and with that first step what happens is that I don't feel helpless anymore and it's still horrible and it's still um, overwhelming and it's still incredibly sad but I'm not helpless anymore and at least for me and I think for many other people 
crises are okay. Like we are okay in handling crises. It's part of being human. We need to go through crises. We need to survive them. We maybe need to use them to get better in things. What we are not great with is feeling helpless or feeling out of control. So I have made the experience that finding that X is a great way to get out of the helplessness and get out of the sort of the feeling that I have no control over what ha what's happening in my life anymore. And then I'm still like, it, it doesn't mean that all the negative feelings are going away. I'm still sad. I'm still horrified. I'm still overwhelmed. I'm still angry, maybe, um, but but I can sort of handle it. I can find my way with it. And I'd rather be in a point where I can feel all these emotions and do something with them uh, compared to just um, being numb or, or feeling stuck with whatever emotion I have. Mm, so going into action, you mean? It could be going into action. It could be realizing that I really need some rest and just say, okay, my ex will be a day of rest or or maybe calling a friend or taking a walk. Like it doesn't have to be always like now I'm going to change the world. It's more like checking in with ourselves and seeing, okay, what do I need to feel better and then do that mm -hmm. uh, compared to being maybe in a loop of what I should do or what I should feel or what I yeah how i should see the world or what what should have should should be uh, um happening next so it's also connected to accepting what is like whatever bad thing is in your life or in the world sort of first we need to accept it and it's such a yeah we always say that our unity accept but if you don't accept it you can't do anything about it so first you accept it and then then with looking for an ex you also accept that yeah there is that problem i'm not looking away um, but I need to find a way to handle it. Like, this is what we do all day. It's not something very, very new. I think we are doing that. All of us are doing that every day. We have problems and we need to face them. So this can, this formula can be a tool to sort of make it a little bit easier to, or a bit smoother to face them. But we're doing that already. We are, all of us are facing problems already every day. It just seems they're getting bigger and bigger, at least on a on a society level scale, especially with climate change on the horizon. Or well, let's let's go because we don't have so much time left anymore. Let's go back to a time of despair last year when the Taliban took over. And oh, don't you want to talk about it now? No, no, we can do. Yeah. No um, so you want to describe the situation and how you found your ex? Uh, yeah, that was probably the most uh, horrible situation I have faced in my life um, ever when all of a sudden so many good friends and partners and co-workers called me desperately in, in the fear of losing their lives, um, in the real fear of losing their lives oh. and uh, and wanted solutions, of course, wanted help, wanted support, needed support. And in the beginning, I had no means of any support at all because I'm only a private person. I, I am sort of it's my responsibility to help them because we work together but at the same time I'm not connected to a political organization or yeah I don't have any political power at all so in the first weeks um what we what all of us there were many people involved people like me who have been working in the country or knowing people in the country who just yeah we just called politicians we just tried to there was no proper system that we could follow there was no proper process so we sort of tried to, whatever we could do we we called politicians we wrote like hundreds of lists with informations on it and just tried to um so what we're trying to do is to get visa of course um which is incredibly hard and only worked out with not enough people but at least with a certain amount of people 
And then we went step by step. In the beginning, I couldn't really do anything. I just sort of tried to fundraise money for organizations who were still working in Afghanistan. We were writing a petition that we were um, for politicians in Germany and tried to share that. I gave interviews about the about why the situation is important, what we need to do now as a civil society. So these were the first really, really tiny steps that didn't feel at all like we were bringing any change, hmm. but just enough to sort of continue. And then step by step, we found ways to organize visa. We could, at least for about 15 co-workers and their families, we could get visa and invite them to Germany or organize their way to Germany, which is then the next big thing because it's incredibly difficult, at least at the times, to get passport and visa and all the documents that you need and then to actually leave the country. And then um, when they arrived here, we made sure they had guest families so that they don't have to stay within these horrible camps. Um, we sort of find, found people to take care of all the bureaucracy that needs to be done. So there were certain, there were lots of lots of steps that then followed once we took the first one. And I didn't do it because I'm such a great person. I just did it because I, I knew I would go crazy if I wouldn't do anything. Um, because it was so, it was such a horrible situation. And I'm just seeing so many friends and loved ones in in horror, and in yeah, in in the honest fear of being killed so it was sort of my way to reacting to it because i knew if i would just sit there and look then i'd go crazy and i just um i didn't want that of course mm. and in the meantime you were writing on that book about the constructive stories right yeah i had to finish it i had started before um i mean the, the bigger part i had written before and all the research most of the research i had done mm. before But then that that was also the time where I had to finish it. And um, I remember thinking like, thinking, who are you fooling? Like, what are you doing that you're writing a book about why the world isn't that bad? <laughs> <laughs> While it felt it has never been as bad as like this bad before. Um, yeah. And then through writing, of course, I found my way back to to the mindset where I could actually do things, where I could actually change things and uh, or at least try to change them. And how is the situation now in Kabul in Afghanistan? What are you hearing from your friends and the people you are connected to? Uh, it's not great. Um, oh, yeah. it's not going great. Um, I mean, the political situation is. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Keine Aufmerksamkeit für ihn oder was? <laughs> oh no. Um, it's not going great. So yeah, the political situation I think is getting worse and worse. It it's very local, like depending on whether how the situation was before. Maybe there's for some groups now more safety, but for many groups, depending also on their ethnicity, the situation is uh, much worse now. Especially people who worked with the government before or who worked in. Uh, creative fields of arts, journalism, civil uh, society, civil rights movements, and of course women. These are groups, groups of people who are really, um, yeah, I would say many of them still fear just uh, being killed or yeah, being in prison, things like that. Um, and then on top of that, I think what is, I don't want to say it's more important, but what is a huge issue is uh, just hunger. Um, almost, I think the last number that I have read was more than 95% of the people in Afghanistan, they face hunger. Gosh. Um, so that is a situation that is really, really difficult to solve because the international community is not, 
I mean, there are still organiz- organizations working in Afghanistan, but not as much as before. And the, uh, there, there's not enough money in the country because some parts of it got uh, confiscated by the USA. So, um, I mean, most parts. So there is a lack of money. There is a lack of possibility. Uh, of course, climate crisis also mm-hmm. uh, plays a big role in Afghanistan. There is not enough water. Hasn't been there for years, but yeah. So this is our top of uh, top of crisis, one crisis on top of the other. Um, so the situation is not great. Um, what I try to focus on is to to see that there are still people fighting, be it for social change, be it for political power. There's still, even if it's really really hard, like demonstrations are forbidden and all that. Um, but there's still like people have not given up. Um, mm-hmm. There's, for example, underground schools starting for. For girls who are not allowed to education, otherwise there is a big support coming from the from people who left Afghanistan during the last 40, 45 years of war of different wars and who are now spread in the world. Um, so many people are are of course still trying to give back to sort of connecting with their home country and the people who are still living there. So there is a big support, but um, yeah, the, the crisis is huge and um, whatever support that can be done is much, much, much needed. Mm. Yeah, it's that's what I found so amazing that in the worst situations, you always find those people who s- don't seem to care or that, that even find more power from this despair that they find a way to help or spread hope and inspiration this is really it's sounds almost christian but (laughs) it's um that what gives me hope also when you when you go to places where there is so much conflict and despair there you always you always and everywhere you find someone who's trying to change the situation for the better i think it's a very human thing to do like um it's, it has found in, in recent research um, that people are, humans are actually, most humans are actually helping each other in times of mm-hmm. crisis. It's not that we're, there's a crisis and then there's a shortage of food and then we are trying to kill each other. That's what we sort of mm-hmm. learn from, from all the blockbuster Hollywood movies that we have mm-hmm. seen about these situations. But what is most of the time actually happening is that people are helping each other and sort of trying to build something together as a community and that is um, incredibly inspiring and I think it's also what we uh, what we as a global society need um, in terms of how we face all these problems that are I mean they are here we know them by now we are um, we have tried to look away we have not managed thankfully Um, so we know now we have all these problems and we need a way to to sort of face them um, and to conquer them and I think solidarity community working together lifting each other up in in terms of also of course facing racism sexism all these layers as well um social injustice and sort of really working together not only with that within our uh, own white bubbles in our case white privilege bubble but really working together i think that's the only way out to to handle what's going on at the moment Uh, and talking to you for 45 minutes now um gives me the impression that maybe we will even manage to do that. The last minutes, we have always three questions at the end. And the first is like, what's your utopia? What's your utopistan? My utopistan, I think right now, would be a society where we have many, many places to engage with each other, um, where we can work together, not on 
not on paid work, but work on whatever needs to be done for our society and where we have a mechanism where where people really from all levels get involved and get together and realize that we are all humans. There's things that are dividing us are much smaller than the things that are um, uh, sort, sort of unionizing us and, um, yeah, unionize. And do you see some stories, data, examples that we are moving towards that utopia? Um, well, I'm finding these utopias wherever I look, let's say this way. Mm -hmm. um, at the moment, I'm just, I'm, I'm really reading a lot of books about it, um, about these sort of fields. And I'm always amazed and impressed what already exists. And I have made this experience like a hundred of hundreds of times that I feel, I mean, I obviously I don't know everything I don't know of everything that exists, but whenever I read a book or hear a story that I find amazing, I'm like, wow, this is already happening. And um, yeah, I'm finding lots of them. Sweet. And what can people do to support this utopia? Um, well, unionize, get together whenever you face a problem on a, on a level um, that is more than yourself, or even if it's only a problem within your own family, get together, talk to your neighbors, talk to your friends, uh, try to find a solution that is not only including you or people that you pay for, but um, but try to get together and meet other people who, who are facing similar problems and then find better solutions. Thank you, Ronja, that sounds amazing. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. We hope it could give you some inspiration during these times of conflict and crises everywhere. But as we saw today and also in our previous episodes, there are people working on solutions everywhere. People who dedicate their life to protect nature, to fight racism and sexism, or to bring healing to the places they live in. In Ayotzinapa, Mexico, for example, in Tanzania, or in occupied Palestine. They show you how not to lose hope. Have a look into our previous episodes and find some ideas and inspiration. And of course, right now, the women of Iran are on the streets. And also the men. But it started with the women. They are there courageously protesting against their oppressive regime. The bloodshed is high. But some say those protests, they might end the Mullah's regime and finally bring freedom to Iran. We hope in the future we can talk to one of the protesters there. And if you want, you can support Radio Utopista. That would be great, actually. So far, we still don't really have a business model and are just working on it in our free time. You could make a contribution on our website, for example, or on Patreon. You can leave reviews on Apple Podcasts. And you can share the stories you liked with your friends and family or your platforms and publications. Thank you. We really appreciate any support. It does make a difference. My name is Elisabeth Weid, Radio Utopistan team for this episode are editor and executive producer Charlotte Horn and Christina Fimöbus, music Robert Pilgrim, IT Johannes Weid, accountant Elena Weid, and you. Thanks for being here. That's why we are here. Bye bye and see you soon.